Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are talking about the top 10 free agent bargains this offseason so far. So free agency is not done, but majority of the players that we know that we're excited about becoming free agents have been signed. I did on the previous episode, if you want to check that out, went through the top 20 deals just in terms of like how much you get paid for a year. I gave a grade to every single one of those deals. Today, I want to do something a little bit different. I wanted to look at the lower end of the pay scale, the contracts that players could, in my opinion, easily outperform, provide fantastic bargains. And when you're paying players this amount of money on the lower end of the scale, right, you're not going to get like, you're not going to get like two way players averaging like 18 points a game, right? That obviously they would get paid more money than that. But these players have individual, you know, one or two skills that complement maybe a, a better team. You're going to see a lot of the players that make this list are are going to better teams for the most part. Not always, but the, those skills are going to pop, obviously, on a, a 50-win team. You know, that extra guy that can stretch the floor, or hit the corner three, or defend really well. You know, I think that's where we see – we get familiar with role players more on better teams because they play more. Uh, a blowout game, you're going to play the whole fourth quarter, things like that. And then also – they're asked to do more specific jobs that they can excel at and they get highlighted by the broadcast team or they can impact a game because it's like, hey, I, I just need this player that's, you know, the 3 and D player kind of came out of this. It's like, I need a player that's really good at defense on the perimeter. It can hit some corner threes. And then, you know, that player has a couple turnovers late in the game. They hit a couple threes. That, that gets highlighted. We see them and then we're like, oh, okay. So, so I want to talk about players that could have impacts like that for playoff teams, not always, but just in regular season really good values can outperform their money. I was actually talking to somebody, it was after one of it was after the grades, right? So I graded all the big deals and I was talking to some people on Twitter. They were asking me, you know, why I gave a player a good grade or a bad grade or whatever it was. And when the Bruce Brown trade came up, it's everyone's real high on Bruce Brown right now, like deservedly so. He won a championship. He's a really good role player, but he got like 20 million a year for, it was like a two-year deal. I think there might be an option. It's one of those situation where the Pacers have a lot of cap space. It's a short deal, yada, yada, yada. But my argument to the person I was discussing this with was, I don't really see a world in a like a way that Bruce Brown can outperform the contract. Like, can he be helpful to the team? Absolutely. But the odds of him providing enough impact to be worth more than $20 million in a year and in this upcoming season seems astronomically low to me. So that, that was the way I was looking at that. I know that the situation's a little different there. I tried to include that, yada, yada, yada. It was Twitter. There wasn't that many characters. So what we're talking about here is top 10 free agent bargains, I believe, going into next season. So the contracts that have been signed where I was like, oh, this is a this is a really good deal. Because, you know, we talk about the overpays and we should because they matter a lot. But I also want to talk about like the, the grocery outlet deals. And if anyone shops a grocery outlet, you're, that's really going to a deep cut joke. That's really going to work well. If you haven't. You got to look up your nearest grocery outlet because that's crazy. I will. I have to disclose. I think I own three shares of their stock. So just you know, up front with that. I'm not a sponsor of the podcast, but I am a shareholder. So uh, let's start with number one, top free agent bargain of the offseason, Kevin Love. So everyone knows who Kevin Love is. Won championship with LeBron, with the Cavs. He was on Miami. They made a deep playoff run this year. And Kevin Love, not, not the all-star player he once was. He's going to be 35. 
but he signs a two-year deal. He's getting paid about $4 million a year. So really nothing. Like the vet minimum is like two point something, but his vet minimum, this might be his minimum because it has to do with how many years you're in the league or whatever. But basically $4 million is nothing in the cap space. Like I've talked about this, like $40 million or more in a regular season contract. You're hoping for like, I mean, hopefully all NBA type performance, uh, $30 million and above, like uh, all-star performance or something close to that. Uh, 20 million and above high-end role player or like a really good starter 10 million and above like you're a legit nba player you're going to play a role on a team you're going to provide you know some level of impact everything below 10 million dollars it's like these contracts if you whatever mistake you make on a contract below 10 million dollars it just it just does not matter because of like where the salary floor is now and how much the high-end players get paid so kevin love two years getting paid about four million a year and, you know, Kevin Love, you know, not going to play a ton, but you even saw it in the playoffs this year. He only played 18 minutes a game, gave you like seven points and five rebounds, but he shot 35, uh, was 37.5% from three on like four attempts a game. And that's what he brings. He is a four that can stretch the court. He's been able to do that for years. He's still really like, he can't move around very well anymore. He is an older player. He's had some injuries and, you know, never the most athletic guy in the world, but Super good three-point shooter, you know, had another great you know, postseason run of shooting. That's really what he brings to the table now. The rebounding is nice. Like you saw the Cavs, you know, they split for for reasons. You know, he, he was out of the rotation, playing time, whatever it was. And you saw in that first round where it was like, you know what the Cavs could have used? More spacing and more rebounding. So he is a, a card you can play in a playoff series. He is making $4 million a year, nothing crazy. And I like that retention by Miami because – it just gives you an option in the playoffs to try something uh, to play a different style because that's that's always really valuable in the playoff, the ability to play in a different way. Uh, after that, George Niang, he is a forward. He was on Philly. He signed with Cleveland. This is actually, like I think this is tied for the longest deal on the list. So this is number nine, George Niang, uh, three-year deal, getting paid about $8.5 million a year. So he's getting paid on the higher end for this list. So again, every deal on here under $10 million per year. And George Niang is very simply a forward. He's 30. He's an older guy on the list, but he's super good shooter. He's been a fantastic shooter for years, and that's what he is. He is a forward that can stretch the court. He's a pretty bad defender, so there are limitations there. You're not going to play him for, like, huge minutes, but the Cavs, you really saw they needed, especially from the forward position, some amount of offense and then also some amount of spacing. So I really like this signing because I think they addressed their – their biggest problem on their roster. Uh, you know, they signed Struess. Niang's a little bit bigger, but again, Niang, not really a very good defender, pretty bad, but has been such a good shooter for a number of years where you feel pretty confident that that's probably going to translate to this contract. So Kevin Love at 10, Niang at nine, both guys that are forwards that can stretch the floor because that is valuable. There's not a lot of... Uh, you know, we, we always talk about center stretching it and, you know, consistently doing it. These are forwards. There's just not like a ton of guys that you can put at the four to stretch it out consistently. Because the problem is you try this with players that like maybe don't really have the three-point shooting where you're like, well, I hope this like develops. And then when it's not working, there's no gravity. And then it's just, it's a mess. So after that, Malik Beasley at eight, a lot of three-point shooting on this list. So Malik Beasley has been a, a really good three-point shooting guard for a number of years. He's getting close to be 27. And he was actually traded to the Lakers halfway through the season last year 
on the Jazz, he just shot the lights out in the first half of the season, went ice cold, fell out of the rotation for the Lakers, but he signs a one-year deal for a shade under $3 million to go to the Bucks, where I would imagine the shot quality is going to be really high. I think he's going to rebound. The Bucks have a lot of money committed to a lot of big-time players at the top of the roster. So to get a buy-low candidate like Malik Beasley, who needs to bounce back, he's not old. Because the problem is when you you fill out your roster with like players that you're paying a lot of money, like Giannis, right, because you're, you're, you're a good team, you normally fill it out with like veterans that are older that are also trying to rebound. At least Malik Beasley is in the middle of his career. And I think he is like a prime candidate for a bounce back. So the Milwaukee Bucks add a big time movement shooter in Malik Beasley that I think that value is going to work again. It's, it's just under $3 million. So there's like really no investment. This is a one-year deal. This is obviously him trying to recoup value. The Lakers declined a $17 million player option on him because he really struggled down the stretch, but I would imagine he's going to perform well on the bucks on a high end team where his role is going to be really defined. And then he's going to hit free agency next year and try to capitalize on like a two or three year deal. Uh, after that, number seven, Torian Prince, Torian Prince was a forward on Minnesota last year, 29 years old. He's just like Torian Prince is a, a very, very solid NBA player. And that's really the best way I can describe him. Pretty good corner shooter last year, hitting threes, had a silver corner shooter badge for us. The The defensive numbers were pretty solid out of him where Torian Prince isn't going to pop in a ton of statistics, but he's a guy that's going to have a 10-year NBA career who's just like a pretty solid bench player who's been pretty good from three. And that type of player filling out the back end of a roster like the Lakers who went to the Western Conference Finals, that's really solid value. He's getting paid about $4.5 million. This is a one-year deal. And again, really low risk for the investment of having a solid NBA player. Because the problem is so many times, like we talk about this with bad teams, like the Rockets. There's a number of players on the Rockets that aren't going to be in the NBA in a year or two. Because when you're that bad, you're just cycling a bunch of players through. And you're trying to like find something. And a lot of the back-end guys on your bench, like are fringe NBA players at best. When you have a legit vet who's been just like a solid contributor, solid player on the Wolves last year, something like that move down in the rotation can be valuable for the Lakers if there's an injury. If, you know, like they had Malik Beasley last year, they trade for him, he goes ice cold, you got to dip into the bench. You saw with Lonnie Walker having a Lonnie Walker game in the playoffs. Like the the further you can reach down into your bench and pull out solid NBA players, the better situation you're in as franchise and as a coach. So Torian Prince at seven. So we had Love at 10, Niang at nine. He was, oh, did I, I don't know if I said this. Niang was on Philly last year. So people probably saw him a little bit because he played in the playoffs. So we had Love at 10, Niang at nine, Malik Beasley at eight, Torian Prince at seven. And then at six, we have Josh Akogi. He is a guard. He was on Phoenix. Phoenix retains him on a one-year deal at just a shade over two mil a year. He's a young player, or young-ish. He's about to turn 25. Super good defender. If you see him, he's huge for a shooting guard, like like built-wise, right? I think he's like 6'4", a very wide player for 6'4". Really strong, really good offensive rebounder, and really good defender. Pretty good ball mover also. Like, this guy screams glue guy. Now, he doesn't fit that 3 and D mold because he's a bad three-point shooter. He's pretty much a non-threat, zero gravity, probably negative gravity in the corner shooting threes, and that does hurt you, but 
the way the Suns are designed, where they have so much offensive firepower, having a player that, even if a non-shooting threat, a really, really strong defender who is a pretty good ball mover from what I've seen. The numbers back that up. And then on top of that, can offensive rebound. He can give you extra possessions. And I think the league is trending towards valuing offensive rebounding of non-big players more and more because it turns out everyone started looking for three and D guys. And then that drove up their price where it's like, okay, there's only so many guys that can defend at a high level and shoot the three, like stand stationary, wait nine minutes, get a shot attempt, wait another 12 minutes, get another shot attempt from the corner and hit those consistently. Just not a lot of guys that can do that. But if you can find a really high end defender that, you know, like I said, pretty good ball mover, like good passing quality, good passing efficiency, low volume. What that means is, He's not like diamond and out, but when there's a breakdown, there's a rotation, it gets kicked out to him. He attacks the basket. He then moves the ball. He's moving it safely, high efficiency, <laughs> high efficiency. And then he's also keeping that quality advantage. That's what the numbers are showing me. So uh, if you want to check that out again, you can go to our player profile at basketball index, five bucks a month for the same data that front offices and agents use. That's also what powers this podcast. Uh, but Josh Kogi, I really like that retention by Phoenix because they need defenders and then he's able to affect the offense positively, uh, even though he's not a shooter. So he was number six. After that, Seth Curry at five. So Seth is going to be 33, obviously, brother of Steph. And fantastic shooter. He goes to a two-year deal on Dallas, uh, a little under five mil a year. So again, two years, under five mil, not a big investment. This is, you know, I'm not going to say it's the last contract of his career, but he'll be, you know, 33, 34. Like, it's getting to the end for him. But really 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 fantastic shooter where there are levels of shooter in the league and Seth Curry is at the top where it's like not a great defensive player can't do a whole lot else can like ball handle a little bit but he is a lights out shooter he played really well on Dallas a few years ago they get him back pairing him with Luca makes a ton of sense and I just really like that signing it makes a lot of sense to me he's a little bit on the older side but that like three point shooting skill is as high as it gets in a player <laughs> that's like in this tier. So I really like that a lot. After that, number four, Javon Carter. He was a guard on the Bucks last year. He goes to Chicago on a three year deal, about six and a half million a year. So this one's a kind of a little bit bigger deal than we've been talking about previously. But again, three years. So there's some commitment there. He's going to be 28. And again, six and a half mil, nothing crazy. Uh, so like 20 mil total. And he is a guard that is small. He's on the smaller end, but he is a fantastic defender. He is like an all-NBA type defender. His ball pressure, his on-ball defense is amazing. He is fantastic. So he had a really good year last year. Again, he can shoot the three, prototypical 3 and D player. The problem for Javon Carter is after that, he really doesn't give you anything else on offense. Like he really can't do anything else at an NBA level. So he is a very specific player at what he brings to the table. Super good point of attack defender. And then able to just hit threes. You hit, you take four to five threes a game, hit him in a solid clip, and that is what he does. He's just a very good role player. So recapping it, we had Kevin Love, we had Niang, we had Malik Beasley, Torian Prince, Josh Akogi, Seth Curry, Javon Carter, and then the final three Trey Jones, he's a guard on San Antonio. They retain him. Uh, this is the highest paid player on the list. Two years 
at $10 million a year. So he's at the top of the cap for, again, we were looking at players making $10 million and less on these contracts. And Trey Jones is, he's pretty young. He's 24. He is an interesting player. Like you watch him play and you're like, okay, he's not where he needs to be, but of a team in full rebuild mode like the Spurs, they retain him for two years. They don't break the bank. You know, he's got a really good floater. He can get to the rim. He finishes well. He's a small guard, but he seems to be a very good defender. The data really likes him a lot. His perimeter isolation defense was an A+. plus, So really good there. He can't shoot the three. So that's a little bit of the problem on offense. So like when he's not trying to make something happen, getting to the rim, um, not a ton of value there. There's some playmaking. He takes care of the ball, but he's not creating super great quality looks. So, like I said, there's there's warts here, but there's also things to like. He's a young player, but you have a small guard who's a really good defender who can ball handle, who can get to the rim some and finish around the rim. That is a good starting point for a player where I don't know what he turns into, but he is intriguing and he has caught my eye. Actually, not from a data standpoint, from watching him and then checking the data after. So, Trey Jones point guard on the Spurs. I a guy to keep he was a restricted free agent also. Uh, just he was the only guy on the list that was restricted, but a guy I like and a guy to keep an eye on. After that, number 2, Drew Eubanks, he was the backup big on Portland last year. He gets signed by Phoenix two-year deal at just two and a half million a year. So again, two years, not a crazy commitment pretty much the bottom of the barrel in terms of what you can pay someone in the NBA, 2.5 mil. This was really surprising. I thought Drew Eubanks would be a guy who would be an interesting signing for a lot of teams because he's eh, like 26. He's not young, but he's a, a decent offensive player. He's got some skill. On defense, he's not huge. He's 6'9 for a big, which isn't big, but when you have a smaller big, you get more mobility. His, his data shows his ability to guard on the perimeter, one of the better bigs last year. His ability to be effective in pick-and-roll coverages. So the pick-and-roll coverages, the ba- basic is there's drop, which is the big drops to the basket, protects the basket at all costs, and will let you pull up shoot, right? And the other is we'll call them, we call them mobile coverages here at Basketball Index, and it's hedging and it's switching on the perimeter. So it's getting out of the key, defending up at the level of the screen, and being involved in ball screens more. He was pretty good. And you'll see this kind of across the board. Like the big 7-1 Rudy Gobert's, they're not going to be super great at mobile coverages for the most part because they're too big. Their steps don't match up. It's like trying to guard like Darren Sproles out on the perimeter as a linebacker. It's just really difficult to stay with them. And then you get blown by. Uh, So that's why you play a lot of drop coverage with the bigger players. But the smallers, the Jarrett Allens of the world, the Al Horfords of the world, these players, Drew Eubanks, are smaller players. They're 6'9", lower center of gravity. They're able to defend in those mobile coverages better. Where is Drew Eubanks like a star? No. But as a backup big, I think like really like one of the best backup bigs in the league last year on the Blazers in terms of value. And now going to Phoenix, he'll be backing up DeAndre Ayton and gives you that ability to switch. I like that combination with Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant provides additional rim protection because he's so darn tall. And Drew Eubanks, yeah, this is, I, I mean, I really, I thought this was going to be my number one signing until I saw the news of the first player on the list. So number one, the best value free agent bargain of the offseason 
I can't believe I'm saying this, Russell Westbrook. So Russell Westbrook went from the worst contract in the league last year, the last, uh, honestly, number of years, to the best contract. He signs a two-year deal to stay with the Clippers. He's getting close to 35, but I talk about this all the time. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. They aid, like 35 is kind of the cliff, but if you're a Hall of Famer, you can play beyond 35 because you are just a superhuman. (laughs) And Russell Westbrook clearly is that. So uh, he's making just a shade under $4 million a year. And that's a two-year deal. So he went from making like 40-something million dollars a year to about $4 million a year. So again, went from the worst contract in the league to, I think, the best value. Because is Russ, like, does he have his flaws? Absolutely. He can't shoot the three. He's a, not an efficient scorer. The defense really comes and goes depending on how engaged he is. But the playmaking is still really high-end. It is still really high volume. It is really high quality. Yes, there's turnovers, but the the quality looks he's generating is just so valuable. He can still get to the rim whenever he likes. And again, that causes collapse of the defense, causes rotation, and just frees up things for the offense. So Russ, I I mean, he played really well in the playoffs. And it's, it's hard for us because the worse the team he is on is, the better he plays. It's just like how he works as a player. But when you're making $4 million a year and you're one of the best playmakers in the league still, that's a crazy value for the Clippers. That's just a crazy value. Like warts and all, it's just the the investment is so low at $4 million, so low. So just going to recap the list one more time. Top 10 free agent bargains of the offseason so far. Kevin Love, George Niang, Malik Beasley, Torian Prince, Josh Okogie, Seth Curry, Javon Carter, Trey Jones, Drew Eubanks, and Russell Westbrook. Those are the top 10 deals I like the most of players making under $10 million this season. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. My name is Taylor, and we'll see you on the next one for the Basketball Index Podcast.